1: Good morning, you're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, California, streaming online at KUCI.org and podcasting on iTunes. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. I'm Lloyd, the show's engineer. We've enjoyed bringing this show since 2005. Your host is Marty Frank, a local attorney since 1985. She's a certified information privacy professional and the author of several books, including Safeguard Your Identity, Protecting Yourself with a Personal Privacy Audit, and The Complete Idiot's Guide to Recovering from Identity Theft. Maris testified many times on privacy issues in Congress and the California Legislature. She served as a privacy expert for numerous court cases nationwide and at a White House press conference featured on C-SPAN. You may have seen her on Dateline, 48 Hours, CNN, NBC, The O'Reilly Factor, and many more shows, including her own 90-minute PBS television special, Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. To learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit kci.org slash privacypiracy. Mari, what's our show about this morning?
2: Well, Lloyd, today our show is about background checks. And you know, more and more companies are doing background checks. So it's so important here on the campus of the University of California, Irvine, that students really listen to this. And then, of course, the employers driving by and listening on podcasts and the privacy officers really need to know about the privacy pitfalls of um, doing background checks, and we are so thrilled today to have uh, who is now a um, gentleman who's now become my friend, Fred Giles. He w- uh, presented with me at the International Association of Privacy Professionals back in March in Washington D.C., and he did a great job. And I asked him if he wanted to come on the show and talk about it. And actually, our program was called Avoid the Privacy Pitfalls of Background Checks. And we did this for privacy officers and general counsel and people who wanted to learn how to protect their companies. So whether you're a company listening to this or you're maybe a student that's going to be applying for a job, you need to know what your rights are and what your obligations are. So f- um, let me tell you a little bit about Fred. Fred is over 30 years of experience uh, in employment screening, beginning his career in law enforcement. He's currently the Senior Vice President of the Research Division for the CARCO Group, Inc., which holds the coveted accreditation by the National Association of Professional Background Screeners. Uh, he is also a certified protection privacy I'm sorry, protection (laughs) professional with ACES International, and he currently serves on the Background Screening and Credentialing Council for the NAPBS, which is that National Association of Professional Background Screeners. And he's also a member of SHRM, which I'm gonna have to ask him in a minute what that is. He has served as subject matter expert to national news media, including Discovery Channel's Insiders series and he has published numerous magazine articles on background screenings and is a contributing author to the Protection of Assets Manual and the Investigator's Handbook, both published by ASIS. So we're just thrilled to have him. You can find out more about him. You'll see his picture in his bio, and we link to carcogroup.com at KUCI.org slash privacy piracy. And also, you can go to his own website and find out more about him. But I don't want to take any more time. Fred, thank you so much for joining us from Florida.
0: Well, thank you for inviting me. Happy to be here.
2: Well, it was so fun to meet you, and you did such a great job that I thought we'd have a lot of fun with this. So, first of all, let's just tell my audience a little bit about Carco, Carco Group. Well,
0: Uh, CARCO has been uh, in the business of providing background screening for uh, over 35 years. Uh, We uh, started in the New York area. We are uh, nationwide or I should say global in scope. Uh, We're actually serving uh, clients uh, across the globe and uh, we are proud that uh, among our clients uh, we have some of the very first clients that we started with 35 years ago, so wow, uh, we're, we're very pleased to have them with us.
2: Yeah, and you know, I was looking at your website again, and I noticed that you have, beside employment background screening, you have uh, vendor screening and executive screening, and... Um, international screening, healthcare compliance, drug screening, all sorts of stuff. So it's uh, it really is a, a, a very uh, complete kind of background screening. So let's talk a little bit. Oh, I also wanted to hit you to tell us about what is the National Association of Professional Background Screeners and how are they addressing or promoting data security.
0: Well, the National Association of Professional Background uh, Screeners really exists to promote ethical background practices, compliance with the Fair Credit Reporting Act, which is the uh, controlling federal law for what background screeners do, uh, promoting compliance with equal employment opportunity and state and international consumer protection laws that relates to the background screening profession. So. um, At NAPBS, we provide educational programs aimed at empowering our members to serve their clients while adhering to standards of excellence in the background screening profession. And what we're doing, uh, you know, about privacy, uh, the uh, accreditation program you mentioned previously uh, has several clauses. First, clause standard is about. Data protection and privacy versus information security, data security, intrusion detection and response, stored data security, password protocols, electronic act control, physical security, consumer information privacy policy, unauthorized browsing policies, record destruction policies, consumer dispute policies. And sensitive data maskings. What's so the comprehensive standard?
2: Well, I think this is really important because there are so many fly-by-night background screening companies, or or maybe false companies that are on the internet that uh, that will do things that I'm sure they're not members of of this National Association of Professional Background Screeners. So I think if you're an employer driving by, you want to make sure that you get to use a company that is a member of the NAPBS because otherwise you don't know what you're getting and you don't know what kind of security they have and you don't even know if they're really a a real outfit. Wouldn't you say that's true?
0: That's exactly right. Thank you.
2: No, but I mean, when you type in background checks on the Internet, literally thousands of those things come up. Oh,
0: it's scary. I mean, so many of these so-called instant backgrounds and find out about your friends, neighbors, nannies, boyfriends online. Yeah. um, Those are very dangerous sites for lots of reasons.
2: Yes, yes, so you want to use somebody that's reputable, and also, you know, I, I think it's a really a good idea for people to get their own background check. Can can people get their own background check from you so that they could see it before they go into an employment uh, interview?
0: That, that's not a service that CARCO offers. However, um, and I'd have to look up the name, but there is a uh, consortium, and it's a uh, called something like on me. I apologize, I don't have that in front okay. of
2: Okay, well, that's all right. Um,
0: but, but but there is a way for consumers to have a background check done that is a, a reputable background check if they want to see what their background looks like.
2: Right, right. And I know that you, you're you entitled to get once a year um, through LexisNexis, you can actually get a free background check for your criminal background and for your insurance background. So you can get that as a consumer report. You can get that for free once a year. So that's important for, I think it is important for all of us, since so many companies now are doing background checks. So in our conference, um, we talked about some legal liability. So, you know, let's let's talk a little bit about that. Many of the lawsuits against companies deal with the issue of prior consent and the forms that you use. So let's tell us what you recommend with this and what the law is so that if students are going in for going to, you know, um, authorize a background check, that they know what they should be looking for and employers know what they better do to make sure that they um, are giving the correct form.
0: That's an important fact for people to be aware of. Before anyone, any employer, can pull a uh, background report using a consumer reporting agency, that is a background screening company, uh, the employer must provide to the candidate a disclosure and release form. And that disclosure must be a standalone form. It can't be part of something else. It shouldn't have extraneous thing. well, mustn't have extraneous items in there like, Uh, indemnifications, etc. It should consist solely of the fact that uh, a background check is going to be conducted. These elements may be part of that background check. That background check, when completed, will be released to the company or the entities receiving it, must be named, and the individual must freely give their consent and and, uh, execute that form before an employer can use a third party now interestingly um in in most states uh the, well the fcra only applies uh, in this respect when an employer uses a reputable uses a third party right right if they do it themselves unfortunately those protections don't exist and i think that's a weakness in the current law
2: it is definitely a weakness although other you know other states um have a you know have it where if you do a background check you still have a duty to give it to your um, potential employees so yeah it is it is a problem um so in terms of for example, your company, if someone is going to do a background check through your company, do you provide them sample forms that they can use so that they don't mess up?
0: We do provide sample forms. However, um, recognizing that every situation is different, um, we advise our clients or prospects to take those forms to their counsel yes. and you know, use those as templates fine but work with your counsel and make sure that you're addressing specifically what you need to address for your specific situation.
2: Right. So what else does an employer need to do if they intend to obtain a background check or a credit report about an applicant?
0: Well, uh, the important thing, number one, is getting the consent form, and then if they're going to take adverse action in whole or in part and that in part is a very important uh, feature of the law um, if they look at a background they see information that's potentially adverse the first thing that has to happen is that the employer is responsible for making sure that that candidate receives a copy of the background report receives a letter explaining that there's uh, potentially adverse information in here that may affect their ability to be hired or promoted or retained, whatever the circumstance is, provide the name and address of the background company of the Consumer Reporting Agency who provided that information, and further provide a copy of the federal summary of rights uh, that is uh, prescribed by the FTC, and that language and even the font size is dictated. Uh, to make sure that it's clear to the consumer and that they fully are informed of their rights regarding the background check.
2: Right. And if there is a um, an error in the background check, and they see, hopefully, they've gotten that, a copy of that background check, and they say, oh my gosh, I'm a victim of criminal identity theft. These, these crimes are not my crimes. So then what do they do?
0: Absolutely. That's why it's important that the uh, name and address, and phone number of that consumer reporting agency is provided. So then they contact that consumer reporting agency and explain the nature of their concern, whether it's identity theft. It could be it's, it's not me. Um, you know, you, you've misreported something or uh, there's an error at the court or, you know, whatever the case may be to allow them to fully explain and and, uh, uh, request that a reinvestigation be taken as a result of their concern. And that reinvestigation is undertaken by that background screening agency at no cost to the candidate. And at the same time, that background screening agency has an obligation to inform their client that that candidate received a copy of the report, and they have a concern or dispute regarding that report so that the employer is aware that they do not have a final copy of that report.
2: Right, right. I think the sticky issue is if they want to hire somebody quickly, and, um, you know, can can an employer, I mean, does the employer have to wait Till the reinvestigation is finished, let's say that they do find out that this person was a victim of criminal identity theft or maybe uh, John Sr. and John Jr. names got mixed up. You know, they live at the same address and everything is the same except the social. What if, um, what if there is a discrepancy? Does the employer usually wait?
0: Well, it, that's an interesting question, and it's one that I as as a weakness in the law in some respects. Um, currently, the employer is not under an obligation to hold that position open. Um, now, most employers or many employers because by the time they get to the background, they're looking at their final candidates.
2: Right, right. Um,
0: they want that person. They have gone through all the selection process and this is a candidate that fits the bill. So, many employers are are certainly willing to wait and get this resolved some uh some questions about the report or disputes or concerns can be resolved very quickly and very easily Um, other disputes uh, the background screening agency has to work through the source provider whether it be a court or a school or an employer in order to resolve whatever the uh, dispute is about. Um, Now, they're given, uh, we, the background company, is given 30 days to uh, resolve that dispute. Most disputes are resolved much faster. Mm -hmm. And most of the time, with background screening companies, in any event, we get on these disputes immediately, post-haste, they're important, we understand that somebody is waiting to get a job. This is the most important thing in their life right now. Right. And we have to treat it that way.
2: Exactly.
0: Um, so when there are delays, it's frustrating for all of us. And, and it's generally with the source provider. Um, maybe the court has to dig case files out of archive. and they, You know, the archive is not on site. and There are those issues that have to be worked around.
2: Or, so, or sometimes you have to get fingerprints, right? You have to get fingerprints of the applicant and then match those with the fingerprints that are uh, maybe in some podunk sheriff's department <laughs> or something like that. Or or you can't get them from the NCIC or whatever. There's there's problems. So, yeah, I mean, that's, that's the challenge that I've seen is that people have come to me and they've said, I was a victim of criminal identity theft and, and the background screener, um, sent this thing out, and then I lost the job, and then the background screener wasn't able to, you know, get the stuff in time or or wasn't able to get it at all, and oh my goodness, it, it turns out to be a mess. So it's really important, again, to have a reputable background screener that you use so that you don't have these kinds of problems, because not only can the background screener get sued, but also the employer. If
0: That's if, exactly right, and and even though the background screener has an obligation to get up with the employer and advise them that there's been a dispute, I would encourage people uh, to also get in touch with their recruiter or whomever it is that they're dealing with uh, for this position and say, "There, uh, I received a copy of the report. I see this issue on the report that I take issue with. And I am working with the background screening agency to resolve this. I'm very interested in the position. Wait for me.
2: Yes, yes. Yep, exactly. So let's talk a little bit about privacy concerns. So what challenges do privacy concerns create for the background screening? You started to talk about that, but they get a lot of sensitive data. Obviously, they get... Uh, social security numbers, and other personally identifiable information. So let's talk a little bit about that.
0: Well, there there are really three areas where privacy concerns create issues for background screening companies. Uh, The first issue is, you know, we do occasionally run across applicants who are concerned about providing that personally identifiable information to begin with.
2: Right, right. They're
0: concerned about, you know, how long it will be held, where it will go, et cetera. Um, So that reluctance holds up the background process sometimes. Um, We also, as background screening companies, and and this is a good thing from a consumer point of view, um, are facing um, increasing client data security audits. Mm -hmm. So the reputable employers are coming to their background screening agencies and essentially saying, Prove to me that if I send my candidates to you, you can protect their data, and right. I think that's very important. Um, of course, conversely, we have an issue sometimes of educating the client line managers not to email us personally identifiable right. information.
2: <laughs> right, you know? right, At least there is no if it's not in inc- email, unless they <laughs> encrypt it, right? They
0: that's exactly right. Yeah. Now. The, the other issue that we have is a, is a more serious issue I think for for us as candidates and us as background screeners I mean it affects all of us and that is the courts recognize this problem of identity theft and so what some of the courts are doing on their own is they're redacting this personally identifiable information right um, and going from a, a a legal theory if you will that was known as practical obscurity to what i call intentional obfuscation so <laughs> so it's it's well-intentioned court staff making up rules access rules to enforce their understanding of data protection and what this means is many courts have already redacted social security numbers.
2: Right, right, that's 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 California law. You know, you have to redact all but the last four digits and the same thing with the financial information which is understandable because it's public record, right?
0: Exactly. Uh, But but the issue that we have of course is then they start redacting bits or all of dates of birth.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: Um, And so that creates misidentification or missed record issues. Um, you know, from, from our point of view, what we would love to see is the courts recognizing that with the signed release and permission of the candidate, we want to A, resolve this background as quickly as possible so they can move forward in their new job and in their new life, um, and B, we want to make sure that we correctly identify people. Right. And if the courts are making this difficult, or or saying that there's only two classes of of people, one is officer of the court, they can see everything, and the other one is public, they can see whatever we decide is public. Right. They don't recognize those with permission. That's a problem.
2: Right. I, I think it's so hard for the courts as it is just to. Um, you know, manage all the data that they have. You know, and they're scared. So to have two sets would be even harder. So they're redacting for everybody. You know.
0: <laughs> oh yeah, and and it's not consistent. I mean, I right. uh, years ago I went to a large uh, court system. And explained frustration with how long it was taking to get information from the court and the admit the chief administrator of that court system looked at me and said you know we have a case management system in our courts and there are maybe you know 30 or so courts that are all contributing into this case management system mm. and and I cannot tell you right now how many convictions took place on on a statistical basis because they're not using the case management system consistently. Right. So they're putting different information or different abbreviations in different fields. Now, when you go into the records, I mean, the information is there in the record, but statistically, I can't tell you. Right. that's a problem.
2: And to try and get those records, well, now everybody's trying to go electronic, so that at least is going to make it easier than having to go into archives like it used to be. But uh, yeah, it, it is a challenge. It is a big challenge to miss, you know with misidentification, especially when you get the same name. I had a client, poor guy, who was in L.A. He had the same first name and last name and same birth date as a criminal in San Diego, okay? Yep. <laughs> So they were both in California, had the same name, the same birthday, but but their uh their social security number was different and their driver's license number was different. Right. So that's what I had to do. I mean, I this guy couldn't even get a place to live as a matter of fact. They didn't, you know, they they did a background check where he was going to move in and his landlord said, "I don't want you." You know?
0: Well, you know, and and I will say we talked about this briefly on the the issue of internet background checks. And right. Unfortunately, many landlords um, are, and I won't say they're all this way, but we see it commonly, where where they go for the cheap and easy database check.
2: Right, right.
0: And that's where a lot of that misidentification occurs.
2: Yep, yep. So what data protection and privacy rights do the applicants have, you know? What... what what can the applicants, like the students here on the campus, what can they know that they have? What are their rights?
0: Well, in addition to making sure that um, uh, you know, they are informed about the Fair Credit Reporting Act,
2: mm-hmm. um,
0: that's the federal law, and there are many analogous state laws. California has several. Yes. Um, and, and other states, of course, have both labor and, and credit reporting laws or, or consumer reporting laws that are analogous. protect the rights of consumers in a background with a reputable company nothing is covert so reports are only obtained after the applicant provides specific written you know consent as to the content and the recipient also know that they're protected um, in terms of the requirement that that the background company has to take reasonable procedures to ensure maximum possible accuracy, and also uh, to to ensure strict procedures that the information is complete and up-to-date, or provide notice at the time that it's reported that a public record was reported. Yes. So those, those are specific rights that they have. Um, now, they may not be aware of it, or they don't run into this on a daily basis, but They also should know that the background company has specific document destruction requirements um, so that the information is not uh, just thrown out into a dumpster um, at some later point.
2: Right, and and you know, and,
0: and I was there, just going to
2: say in California, well, the yeah. the Fair Credit Reporting Act has the document destruction law too that you have That's to exactly completely right. destroy, and um and California law also says the same thing. So if they're in California, but anybody who's listening, yeah, you, that you don't just want your background check just thrown in some dumpsters so that anybody can get a hold of it and steal your identity.
0: Well, and the other thing that they should look for is. Uh, Ban the Box is a growing movement um, designed to protect uh, a fair chance for individuals. Yeah. Um, and, and what Ban the Box is, uh, on, on, let's call it old-fashioned applications, there was a section on there that asked, have you ever been convicted of a felony, or have you ever been convicted by a court, or some other um, poorly worded, right, uh, inadvisable question. Yeah. Um, and, and now, many states and municipalities have taken the position that we can't have people who are unable to even apply for a job um, because they've made a mistake in the past.
2: Right, and we don't want to see that, you know, people out there forced to be... Uh, engage in crimes because they can't get a job but fred we are out of time we could talk forever and and you just did such a great job we thank you so much just give your website and it's time to go okay
0: okay the website is www.carcogroup.com
2: fred guys you're wonderful and we will talk again thank you so much for joining us thank you You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM and Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. Visit our website at KUCI.org slash and listen in next week at 8 a.m. Thanks. Stay private. The opinions
0: and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.